Well, good evening. It's an honor to be able to be here with you tonight and to enjoy what we've already enjoyed by way of testimony and worship. And I want to bring you greetings tonight from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, maybe you didn't know you had brothers and sisters in Christ in Las Vegas, Nevada, but you do. How many of you would admit it that you've actually been to Las Vegas before? Yeah, everybody's being real careful to raise their hands. I won't even let Pastor Wade turn around. You can raise your hand. He won't know at all. God called our family there in uh, 1999. We moved there in 2000. I don't know how much you know about Las Vegas. Before I moved there, I knew very, very little. All I knew about our city was mobsters and prostitutes and casinos. Uh, But I didn't realize there was a city of 2.2 million people who live there. Uh, the city is today 92% non-evangelical, non-Christian, 60% non-religious. Um, so it's a city of over 1.9 million people that have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are boxes all over. You could take the map of Las Vegas and I could drop you boxes on the map of Las Vegas. And inside of that box would live 100, 150,000 people. And there would not be one evangelical Christian church at all in that box on the map in our city. And I'm not talking about somewhere in China or Russia. I'm talking about the United States of America, the Western United States, and that's Las Vegas. So when you see it on the news, when you see it on television and movies, uh, don't get caught up in the glitz and the glamour. Use it as an opportunity to pray for the city of Las Vegas because God is moving. I so appreciated what Mike and Kathy said a moment ago about the impact of simply prayer and the Word of God. I think sometimes we really try to outthink and overthink this thing when God's made it real simple. If we'll just be desperate for Him and cry out to Him in prayer and stand on the authority of the eternal Word of God and preach the gospel, God will accomplish His mission. And we've been enjoying that for 17 years now in Las Vegas. We got you by one year. You started in 2002. We started in 2001, and, uh, but, but we've had quite an incredible ride out there. But it really is a privilege and an honor for Tom and I to be here with you tonight. Uh, this is a little bit of home area for me. I grew up in North Alabama, but my mom and dad were in Memphis, the Memphis area, for over 20 years. And my dad pastored Kirby Woods Baptist Church there in Memphis. So this is like coming home a little bit for us to be able to come back and to be in this part of the country. So thank you so much for having us, and thank you for Uh, your heart for the nations and the peoples of the earth. I want to lead us in a word of prayer, and then I want to just jump right into God's word together tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to stand in front of this group of people tonight. And Lord, I'm always humbled by the reality of what you could do tonight. Lord, tonight could be the night that you set aside one of these young people or children or moms or dads or grandparents for a specific task that could literally turn the world upside down. Lord, we we heard tonight from Mike and Kathy and their testimony. and Lord, they were sitting in a church somewhere one day when you spoke to them. And now there's a movement happening on the other side of the world. So God, you could begin something like that here tonight. When I look at that list of trips and that brochure that this church has planned or these goals for offering and generosity, Lord, those are things that you could take 
And God, should you choose by your sovereign hand to move on those things and through those things, only eternity reveals the impact of what that could become. So, Lord, we're humbled tonight by what you could do. We ask you to move here this evening. Holy Spirit of God, you are welcome in this place. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. My journey in the western United States started in September of 1999. I was minding my own business as the senior associate pastor of the Kirby Woods Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I've already told you my dad was the pastor there, so I had a great relationship with the senior pastor. Uh, We got along well. My dad and I never thought we'd get the privilege to serve together, but we did for about 18 to 20 months there in Memphis and uh, my dad and I never had the conversation one time, but, but everybody at Kirby Woods kind of assumed that one day my dad would retire and I would be the next pastor at Kirby Woods. Um, but we, again, we never talked about it, but that was kind of the unspoken expectation in the church. And one morning I was sitting in my living room in Memphis and I was just in my, my devotional time with the father. I had been Discipled by a guy, some of you may know his name, he's familiar in these parts, named Clyde Cranford. And Clyde had taught me to pursue Christ's life in the Gospels. One morning I'm reading in Luke chapter 4, and I saw some things in Jesus that weren't in me. As I came to this verse in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, and Jesus made this statement. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And you know, some days you read the Bible and it's just kind of reading the Bible. And there are other days you read the Bible and it's like the Holy Spirit of God just grabs your heart and really pulls you into a text of Scripture. And that's, that's really what happened for me that morning. I'm, I'm reading Luke chapter 4 and it's like the Spirit of God just caused that verse to come alive in my soul. And I begin to see some things in Jesus that were not in me, this passion for the kingdom of God, this passion for the kingdom of God to be expanded to other cities. And so I went and got my wife, Christy, and we knelt down in our living room and we said, Lord, yes. You say, what was the question? We honestly didn't know. We just knew Lord and anything but yes didn't really go together. So we said, Lord, yes. And we really thought in that moment, Mike, we were going to relocate to the other side of the world. We actually picked up the telephone the next morning and called the International Mission Board and tried to get a file opened up for us. Back then, Things were not as they are today. We got turned down really quickly because of some educational requirements that were in place at that time that my wife did not meet. And so I was a good Southern Baptist. God spoke to my heart about the peoples of the earth. We said yes, called the IMB. The IMB said no, and I didn't have a clue what to do after that. And so we just prayed for two weeks. And two weeks later, I was hosting a men's event at Kirby Woods and the gymnasium there, and we had about 800 men that night. And I had a guest, a mentor, come and speak named Johnny Hunt. And Johnny preached to those men that night, and we had a whole bunch of men get saved. And Johnny and I are walking out of that men's event that night, and we stopped. I'll never forget it, just outside the men's bathroom. And Johnny looked at me, and he said, Vance, our church in Woodstock, Georgia, is feeling led of the Lord to start a church, and at that time was the fastest-growing city in North America, Las Vegas, Nevada. And as soon as Las Vegas, Nevada rolled off his tongue, he said, in Vance, God's put it on my heart that you are to be the pastor of that church. Now, two weeks earlier, we said, Lord, yes. And two weeks later, God had the audacity to fill in the blank with Las Vegas. <laughs> 
Now, I say that because I'm from North Alabama originally, and if you're from where I'm from, like where you're from, you don't go to Las Vegas, and if you do, you don't tell anybody, right? I know what it's like here. We don't think Las Vegas is hell, but we think you can smell it from there. It's real close. But as soon as he said it, we knew God had called us to this city, so much so that we did something that I do not recommend, nor do I. I now travel with the North American Mission Board, and I train church planners all over the country. We host a training and a three-day intensive three times a year on our campus in Las Vegas. We take everything we've learned in 16 years of church planting, and we dump it out into church planters. We just had 50 guys on campus in August. We got another 40 or 50 coming in October. I would never train or teach church planters to do this, but, but my wife and I actually resigned our position at Kirby Woods, began the process of moving to Las Vegas, Nevada, and we'd never visited the city one time. We just so knew that God had spoken definitively that if we did anything but begin the process of moving to Las Vegas, we'd be living in complete disobedience to the Lord. So before we moved west, we moved east. We moved to Woodstock, Georgia, and we became a part of that fellowship, believing convictionally that individuals and networks and denominations don't plant churches. Churches plant churches. Living things reproduce themselves. That we were being sent out of a church We wanted to become a part of that church. So we went and became a part of First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia for about a year. And then after a year there in Woodstock, we relocated to Las Vegas, Nevada. Drove in two days before Christmas, December 2000. And have been there ever since. And God has, over those 17 years, now placed a life call on our family and several families that are leading our ministry out there to that city. We've planted our lives to spend the rest of our lives uh, expanding the kingdom of God in that city. And, and if there was, over these 17 years, one subject that I would say God has just radically changed my life around, it's the subject that I want to talk to you about tonight. It's actually a subject that's referenced on the back of your booklet that you have, if you have one of the, 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 the GIC booklets. But it's the subject of the kingdom of God. Did you know that the kingdom of God is referenced over 100 different times in 16 different books of the New Testament? Now, I would submit to you tonight, if Jesus says something one time, that makes it important. Amen? I mean, it doesn't have to get multiple prints in the scripture for us to go, we ought to pay attention to that. But if it's over 100 different references in 16 different books of the New Testament, we might ought to lean in to what he's talking about. I would say that's a theme that we really ought to pay attention to. And yet what's unfortunate, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I mean, I'm one of those that's been going to church nine months before I was even born. And and I know what it's like growing up in a Southern Baptist church. Man, you're at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday night visitation, Friday night. I mean, it's like a full-time job being at church, the church that I grew up in. And yet I didn't really ever hear much about the kingdom of God. We didn't talk a lot about the kingdom of God. I've not heard many sermons on the subject of the kingdom of God. And yet as I begin to, Jesus used that one verse and that phrase, the kingdom, to really catapult my family to the other side of the country to join in what he was doing. And now for over 17 years, he's been just changing my understanding of what our mission is around this idea of the kingdom of God. Let me give you, for sake of time, a definition that we have in Las Vegas is kind of a working definition for the kingdom of God. Here's what it is. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting 
and people being in right relationship with Himself. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with Himself. It's the big picture of what God is doing in the world. You do understand that this thing we call Christianity is moving somewhere. Amen? It's not going to always be like it is now. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that one day there will be around the throne of the Lord Jesus people from every, let's say it together, tribe and tongue and people and nation, right? That's right there in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. You know the problem? We never read verse 10. Verse 9 says, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But we don't read the next phrase. You know what the next phrase says? And you have made them to be a, guess what? Kingdom. You know what this whole thing, the eternal redemptive mission of God is? It is the building of the eternal reign of God called the kingdom of God. The mission of God is about the expansion of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what we're going to be about for all eternity. If you'd ask me for most of my Christian life, what's the book of Acts about? You know what I'd have told you? I'd have said the book of Acts is about the local New Testament church. It's about the birth of the local New Testament church. It's about the growth of the local New Testament church. It's about the multiplication of the local New Testament church. But you know, that's not what the book of Acts is about. Let me show it to you. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 1. We're not going to be here long, so don't get, don't get bogged down in Acts. We're moving somewhere else in just a minute. But Acts chapter 1, what verse do you think I'm going to read? Most Baptists think verse 8, right? We, we, we think the first seven verses are just in there to get us to verse 8. But if you jump to verse 8, you miss the context. Look at verse 3. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. Now, you know what this is, right? This is the last 40 days Jesus Christ is physically on planet Earth. It's post his resurrection. He makes appearances to his followers for 40 days. And look what it says. Speaking of the things concerning the... Read it out loud. How about that? Jesus' last 40 days on planet Earth. And all he talks about is one thing. It's almost as if he was saying to his followers, if you forget everything else I've taught you, don't forget this kingdom of God. Shouldn't surprise us because when he taught them the great sermon on the mount, he said in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye what? First, the what? Kingdom of God. And that was not a suggestion that Jesus was laying on the table. It was an imperative, meaning it was a command that the kingdom of God was to be the number one priority around which everything else in our life revolves. Seek above all else the kingdom. And you see it, Jesus, for 40 days, all he talks about. Kingdom of God, 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 kingdom of God. Turn to Acts chapter 28. Last two verses of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Don't miss this. Now we're not talking about Jesus. Now we're talking about Paul. Look what it says, verse 30. And he stayed 
two full years in his own rented quarters. Now, this is not Paul renting a condo on the beach on vacation. This is Paul under house arrest facing execution for the proclamation of the gospel. Look what it says. For two years, he's welcoming all who came to him, verse 31, preaching the what? How about that? The book of Acts opens with Jesus for 40 days talking about nothing but the kingdom of God. The book of Acts closes with the apostle Paul saying to anybody that got near him, hey, sit down, let me talk to you about something. What? Kingdom of God. We've lost the bookends of the book of Acts. Now, in between those bookends, you find the birth, the growth, and the expansion of the local New Testament church. But you got to see it inside of the bookends. Here's what that means. The local church is simply the temporary tool established by Jesus for the purpose of gathering people to teach them about the king, disciple them in kingdom living, and then send them out for the expansion of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And you know what we've done in North America? We've made the church the goal. The church was never the goal. The goal was the kingdom being expanded. The church was just a tool. Let me try to help you see it. Imagine that we went into business together and we were going to do some real estate development. So we bought a piece of land. We hired a construction company to build a building that we were going to lease out for profit. A month into the project, we drive up on the job site and everybody's working on their tools. And nobody's building the building. Now, they may have the finest tools in the industry, but we didn't hire them to work on their tools. We hired them to build the building. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the church in North America. We're spending all of our time, energy, effort. We got the finest churches with the best facilities and the sharpest programming and the highest capacity trained leaders and all of the the ministry platforms and budgets. We've got all the resources and books. We've got all the pamphlets and brochures. We've got it all. Man, we got the finest tools in the industry. And yet North America is one of two continents in the world where Christianity is on the decline. What's broken? We've substituted the goal for the tool, and we've put all of our energies and efforts on growing the church when I don't ever find in the Scripture that being our exhortation. We are to make disciples and send them out for the expansion of the kingdom. I love what the back of your brochure says, expanding the kingdom of God across the street and around the world, locally and globally. Can I let you in on a little secret? One day, this church is going to die. You say, well, as a guest preacher, that's, that's not a very cool thing to come into our church and say. I mean, we got 16 years of history. We got, uh, God's doing some good stuff. What do, you, what do you mean? Well, here's how I know that. Because one day, all churches die. The church that I've given 17 years of my life to in Las Vegas, one day that's your hope church is going to die. You know how I know that? They all do. If you don't believe me, get on an airplane, go to Ephesus. 
Go to Philippi. Go to Corinth. Go to any of the churches Paul planted. I have stood in the remains in Turkey of the church in Ephesus. That was an epicenter of a gospel movement in the first century. And the church at Ephesus, guess what? It's dead and gone. But the kingdom of God is alive and well. And so the question becomes, how do we connect the big picture of the kingdom of God to who we are as local churches? And I'm thrilled that you asked that question tonight because that's what I want to address in the time that I have left. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to stay here now in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is a book that Paul is writing. It's a letter that he's writing back to a church that he planted. The church at Philippi, upon receipt of this letter, was a 10-year-old church plant that Paul had planted on his second missionary journey. And he's writing them this letter. It's really a thank you letter. We'll talk about that in a moment. But listen to what Paul says to him. Verse 15 of chapter 4. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, for I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Out of these verses, I want to share with you three truths that connect the big picture of God's kingdom to your local New Testament church. Here's the first one. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. To hear what Paul said to them, he writes to them and he says, you yourselves, he he says, you guys remember the first preaching. You know the first preaching of the gospel. When Paul says that, the word first here is a word that literally means the beginning. What he's doing is he's taking them back to when the church at Philippi began. And we don't have time to go into the whole story. You can read it in Acts chapter 16 where Paul goes to Philippi, meets Lydia, leads her to Christ. Then they begin begin to be persecuted by a demon-possessed girl, cast the demon out of her, lead her to Christ. Then they get thrown into prison for casting the demon out of this girl. And the jailer comes in. They lead the jailer to Christ. Boom, brand new church planted in Philippi. Lydia, her family, the demon-possessed girl and her family, the jailer and his family, brand new church at Philippi. The church begins to meet in Lydia's home. They begin to disciple one another. They begin to grow under Paul's teaching. The church begins to flourish. They establish ministries. They fellowship. They they launch churches out of the church. But here's what Paul says to them. Hey, when the church at Philippi began, when God birthed this church, here's what you need to know. That was just the beginning. You see, we see the church being established and growing as the finish line. But the church being established and growing is not the finish line. It's the starting line for what God desires to do through that church to touch cities and nations for His glory. Everything God is doing in this fellowship here locally in Hernando, Mississippi, ultimately is connected to the big picture of what God is doing all over the world. And when God birthed your church in 2002, get this, he had the nations on his heart. It was never just about Hernando. It was never just about this church. 
tell you a story. When, when, when our church was about four years old, 2005, I got a call from a buddy of mine whose name was Bob Roberts. And Bob's a pastor in Keller, Texas. Good friend, been friend for a number of years. And Bob said, Vance, long story short, I just met a guy at the United Nations who's the director of information from the nation of Egypt. He's the highest ranking Christian in the Egyptian government. And he's inviting me to bring a group of pastors to the nation of Egypt to meet with government officials to ask permission to begin to do Christian ministry in a predominantly Muslim nation. He said, I'm looking for a group of pastors to go. We leave in a month. Can you go? I'm like, uh, Bob, I hadn't even thought about Egypt. Let me talk to our team. And we talked about it. Sure enough, I felt led to go. We got on an airplane. We go. I get to JFK Airport in New York City, and I meet Magdi Shaker, this Egyptian diplomat. We get on the airplane. We fly to Egypt, and we did just what he said. We met with every head of state but President Hosni Mubarak himself. We met with every head of state in the nation of Egypt, the cabinet members. We met with, met with the governors of the largest governorates all over the nation of Egypt. And we, and we asked him. We said, hey, we want to come serve your people. We want to come uh, minister to the people of Egypt. We won't violate your laws. We won't preach in your streets. But when people ask us why we're here, why we're serving, we will share our Jesus story with them. And we got 100% clearance from the nation of Egypt to begin to do Christian ministry in a Muslim nation. For about five years, we did that. We, we served in the nation of Egypt until the overthrow of the government. When that happened, we had to get out of there. I was there when the overthrow began. There were 27 people killed outside the hotel where I was staying. They had to move us quickly to another part of the country, and then we got out of the country. It became a very volatile situation. But for about five years, there was a window where we were training hundreds of leaders. We were hosting conferences, training pastors from all over North Africa. It was just an incredible invitation. Here's why I'm telling you that story. On that very first trip, I'm about to leave Egypt to come back to America, and Magdi tells me this story. He said, Vance, about 10 years ago, now remember, at the time, our church was four years old. Vance, about 10 years ago, I was the ambassador to Australia on behalf of the nation of Egypt. He said, while I was in Australia, God convicted me. And I thought he was calling me to leave the government and go back into ministry. So I got on an airplane coming back to Egypt to resign my position with the government. He said, on the airplane, God deeply convicted me that he'd raised me up as a modern-day Joseph to open the nation of Egypt for the people of God once again. And he said, here's the vision God put in my heart. He said, God put it in my heart that one day I would partner with a church in America coming from a city that was filled with houses of prostitution. He said, Vance, 10 years ago, God put it on my heart. I was to partner with Hope Church from Las Vegas, Nevada. Our church was four years old. Here's the point. When God birthed our church, it wasn't just so we could have a cool, trendy place to worship on a weekend. When God birthed our church, it wasn't just so we could see thousands of people come to Christ in Las Vegas. When God birthed our church, it wasn't just so we could see a church planting movement begin in the western United States. When God birthed our church, he had the nation of Egypt on his heart. And here's the reality. When God birthed Longview Point, God had the nations on his heart. And you and I, as we sit here tonight, are not just members of a church. We are citizens of a kingdom that is alive and well. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. Listen, there are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. You didn't hear me. I'm going to say it again. 
There are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. Now, here's why that's a big deal. God brought you into the kingdom and God birthed this church for such a time as this. That's why God birthed your church. That's why God birthed our church. Not just because Hernando needed a church, but because God is alive and at work all over the world. So when God births a church, it's always about something bigger. Let me give you the second thing. When God births a church, he invites us to join in his kingdom activity. Did you hear it? Paul said, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. The word shared here, if you know any Greek word at all, you know this word. It's the Greek word koinonia. You heard that word before? Most of us as Baptists think it means coffee pots and casseroles and donuts. Because it's normally translated with the word fellowship. But that's not what the word really means. The word koinonia literally means to share in the life of another. Paul writes to this church and says, No church shared in my life and the ministry of the kingdom being expanded through my life. Nobody did that like you did. This church saw in the apostle Paul the opportunity to join in the activity of God. I believe the kingdom of God runs on the rails of relationships. And God sovereignly gave this church a relationship with Paul. And through Paul, they joined in the big picture of what God was doing all over the world. You say, well, how do, we, how do we involve our church? How do we do that? Well, let me give you three examples out of these verses. We could talk about this for hours tonight, but I won't use my watch. I'll use your clock, all right? It's 5.15 in Las Vegas, but it's 7.15 here, right? We'll use your clock or my clock. We'll use your clock. I didn't get enough amens to use my clock, all right? Let me give you three, just quickly. Number one, every church should cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. The church at Philippi was a praying church. Some of the greatest verses on prayer in all the Bible right here in this chapter. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This church joined in what God was doing by praying. And I know what some people think, oh, here we go again. Pray for the missionaries. And we'll, is that all we get? No, but listen, prayer is the work. The problem is we think we pray before we work, but that's not the reality. The reality is we don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work, then God works. I'll tell you another story. When I got to Las Vegas, I'd been there one week, and my telephone rings, and we answered the phone. On the other end of the line was a lady by the name of Letty Peralta. Letty was from the Philippines, and she said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know anybody in Las Vegas. You can tell me any story you want to tell me. So here's what she told me. She said, I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family that was very poor. She said, by living in Hong Kong, I met an American family, moved in with them, became the caretaker of their home. She said, that American family became like my extended family, so much so that when they relocated back to the United States, they got all the appropriate paperwork, and I moved with them as a part of their family, and we settled in a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia, called Woodstock, Georgia. 
She said, while living in Woodstock, Georgia, I visited a church called the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, and I heard a preacher named Johnny Hunt preach the gospel like I'd never heard before. And he preached about the kingdom of God and the Great Commission, and it changed my life. But she said, my family quickly got uprooted again, and we moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. And here's what she said. She said, Pastor, I've been in Las Vegas for a year and a half, and I've prayed every day that the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, would start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, Would you please tell me who sent you here? (laughs) Two weeks earlier, we loaded everything we owned in a green Dodge minivan in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, and nobody even knew Letty Peralta existed. We're 17 years in. We've seen thousands. That's not preacher talk. We've seen thousands. Thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Last year, we baptized uh, 92% of the people we baptized were over the age of 18. I'm talking about hundreds of adults coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In the last 18 months, we've baptized 72 adult Muslims from Iran that have been resettled in Las Vegas, Nevada, and have been born again into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most unusual thing I've ever seen. We've had the privilege over 17 years now to start 44 new churches out of our church up and down the West Coast, not counting things that we've been involved in internationally, but just in the Western United States. We've sent out over 450 people out of our fellowship to join in that church planting up and down the West Coast. We work on four continents around the world, and hardly a week goes by that I don't have a church planner call me and say, man, tell us what you did. What was your strategy? And I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm not trying to be overly humble. I'm just trying to be honest. One lady from the Philippines asked God to do it, and we have been riding a wave of the favor of God for 17 years. So here's the point. Who at Longview Point? Who's going to be the next Lady Peralta? You're going to grab a hold of the horns of the altar of God and you're not going to let go until God does something that can only be explained as God showed up. We can cultivate a heart for the kingdom by praying. Secondly, we can, every church should prioritize the kingdom by sending. By sending. Do you hear what Paul said? He said, he said, I've received everything. I'm amply supplied. I've received it from Epaphroditus. Who in the world is Epaphroditus. You know, we think it's something you take penicillin to get rid of, right? I got a bad case of Epaphroditus, but I I think I'm getting over it. No, you're going to bump into Epaphroditus in heaven. So it's important that you know who he is because he's going to say, hey, did you like what they wrote about me in the Bible? And you're going to go, oh, yeah, it was great and have no idea who he was. So let me tell you who Epaphroditus was. Epaphroditus was just a regular dude. Nobody. Somebody in the church in Philippi led him to Christ. He began to be discipled in Lydia's house. One day they took up an offering like this. They had a goal for an offering that they were going to invest in Paul's ministry. They take up the offering and they said, we need somebody to go and take the offering to the apostle Paul. Anybody willing to go? Epaphroditus said, I'm no preacher. I hadn't been to seminary, but I can carry a bag of money with the best of them. I'll go. So how do you know that? We don't have time to look at it, but you look back at chapter 2, verse 25. 
Paul says, Epaphroditus was your Philippi, your messenger and minister to my need. Now I'm sending him back to you. You know what the letter of Philippians is? It's a thank you letter from the Apostle Paul given to Epaphroditus to bring back to the church at Philippi, thanking them for the offering that they sent that he carried. You know who Epaphroditus is? He's the first recorded short-term mission trip in the Bible. I don't know if it was six days, six weeks, six months, but he left from Philippi. He went and served for a short season with Saul or with Paul because Paul said he became my fellow laborer. But now Paul is sending him back to the church at Philippi to report and share all that God's doing through the ministry of the apostle Paul. He is a a short-term missionary sent out. What if we as the church stop focusing on how many people we could seat in our church and we started getting excited about how many people we could send out of our church? What if we unleashed the church and we stopped measuring success by our seating capacity and we started measuring success by our sending capacity? We're not to be hoarders of the people of God. We're to be disciples and then we're to hold them loosely and send them out. We tell people in our membership process at Hope, here's what we tell them. If you join our church, We're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving. And they laughed just like that. And now we got people serving all over the world and up and down the West Coast who had no clue that they were going to ever do anything like that. But because they understood that being a disciple is about being on mission with God, now they're using their job, skill, and passion to engage locally and globally, expanding the kingdom of God. They're not our people. They're God's people. The church is not the goal. The kingdom being expanded is the goal. And if that's ever going to happen, we got to unleash the church and send people out of our fellowship. Here's the third thing we can do. Every church can invest in the kingdom by giving. That's what this passage is really all about. Paul's writing about this offering that they gave. They gave sacrificially, Paul says. They gave consistently. They gave sufficiently. They gave abundantly. And then Paul gets to verse 19. We all love Philippians 4, 19, right? And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's the problem with that. It's not a blank check. It's a conditional promise to a church that is seeking first the kingdom of God by praying, by sending, and by giving. And here's what Paul said. When you live that way, you can't outgive God. And we should not be surprised because it's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom and what? I'll add all these things unto you. Jesus said, you seek the kingdom first. I'll take care of everything else. And let me just tell you, honest to God testimony. 17 years in Las Vegas, we cannot outgive God. Every time we send people out, God doubles them and sends them back in. We just, this is, this is a, this, a, this just happened. Just happened. We just launched a vision in our church for the next 15 years. We've asked God to give us 1% of the Western United States. 750,000 people, 40% of the unchurched population in America lives in the West. We've asked God to give us 750,000 people over the next 15 years. How do you do that? We have a strategy to plant, reproduce, and multiply 300 churches in the next 15 years in the West United States. We're planting those churches with with a DNA to reproduce and multiply 10 times each. That would be a church planting movement, should God choose to do that of over 3,000 new churches in the Western United States. If those 3,000 churches just grow to 250 people each, guess what that is? 750,000 people. That's 1% of the West. And guess what? Then the next generation of that becomes 30,000 churches and reaches over 7.5 million people. Now we're talking about 10% of the Western United States. We're trusting God for a movement. And we just challenged our church with all of this and said, man, we want as many of you as will to be sent out of our church. So we just launched a fourth service two weeks ago. In our church. Just launched a fourth service. We've been in three services, packed out. Can't get any more in the building. So we launched a fourth service two weeks ago. 
We just said, we're going to send as many as we can out. 600 new people walked in the door. For the last two, we averaged 2,600 people for the month of August. Last two weekends had over 3,200 people in our fellowship. Where did 600 new people come from in a week? Here's what I believe. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus when we seek first the kingdom of God. Here's the last thing, and I'll close with this. My time's gone. When God births a church, it's for his glory. When God births a church, it's always about something bigger. When God births a church, it's his invitation for us to join in what he's doing. How do we do that? Praying, sending, giving. That's just a few ways. Then finally, when God births a church, it's for his glory. Did you hear how Paul closed this? Paul spent a lot of time thanking the church at Philippi, but here's how he closed it. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, it doesn't matter if anybody ever knows the name of Hope Church or Vance Pittman. It doesn't matter if anybody ever knows the name of Longview Point or Wade Humphreys. What matters is, do they know and worship the name of Jesus? It's about the glory of God in the cities and nations of the earth. The kingdom being expanded. And then get this, one glorious day, the last person is going to be born again into the kingdom. And then the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ are going to be raised first. And then we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And then we will see a scene around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. And for all eternity, we will be the kingdom of God.